has the Mandalorian lost its way? Well, we need to talk about it. Okay, guys, so back with the bonus episode. We're going to cover Mandalorian Season 3, Episodes 5 and 6. Sorry I missed last week. Uh, Came down with food poisoning, which was um, a side quest I didn't anticipate um so and that that ruined my whole week as it as it probably does for a lot of people but we're back this day to talk about um five and six or or chapters 21 and 22 um i i've been feeling good about this season i've been enjoying this season um i feel like i was sort of happy with where things are going and then things have taken a turn which is really just to go back to where we were at the beginning of of or at the end of season two or the end of book of boba fett and which is basically we've reset to status quo we've gone back to concerns which um to plot elements which we should have addressed immediately and then the show feels needed to have addressed immediately and hasn't, and now we're six episodes into an eight-episode season, and there are a lot of things that feel like um, we're either stalling, padding, or these things are just occurring to us as we get to them. There's something in episode six which feels very, it lacks any kind of drama, logic, or um, entertainment, frankly. Um, there's a lot of writing things that are bugging me, uh, that have this season, but really the last two episodes, um, I feel like there's a lot of first draftisms that are happening and I don't quite know why, cause this is, this is a very well-made show. That's in, that's very true of episode six, which we'll talk about, um, which is directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, who has proven herself just an outstanding director. She's directed several episodes of The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett now. Um, And she really needs to be directing a Star Wars movie. She needs to be directing a movie in general, but um, she really, she makes the show look fantastic. She has a great eye, and and I'll I'll dig into that as we talk about the particulars for the episode. um before we dive into everything um appreciate everybody listening couple housekeeping things uh my novel stargun messenger cyberpunk space opera um will be out on may 5th in ebook and paperback audiobook uh details to come Uh, i'm excited about that uh link in the description if you guys are interested in any of that if you're fans of the mandalorian you might you might like Stargun, there's obviously a lot of Star Wars in it. I, you're shocked. Um, but uh, the main character, Astrodari, the Stargun messenger in the title, is a little bit of the lone sort of uh, uh, mercenary that Din Djarin is. She doesn't have a little baby Grogu, Adari, but um, she does encounter someone who becomes very important in her life. So check that out if you guys are so inclined. So, The Mandalorian. 
Let's talk about episode five, which in, I enjoyed. One thing I really enjoy about the show is that it is, um, it has a great visual. It has that great Star Wars, classic Star Wars visual sensibility. And we saw that with in episode five with the pirates. The the pirate ship design, the 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 snub fighters, um, the way that the action sequence w- was a huge action sequence was was laid out. It's very cool. It's very exciting. Those are it's it's new. It's you know it's it's pirates in space. Not new. Um, but this was fun. This is this is a little different for live live action Star Wars. And it was just kind of fun to see it. It, it however, um, it showed. I think the Mandalorians are supposed to be the greatest warriors in the galaxy. We've seen that at times this season. I don't feel like we're really seeing. I say we're seeing a lot of reasons why they're not. Um, the Mandalorians in the covert on planet Utah that are led by the armor are chose to to put their their base and their people and their children near gigantic monsters which um really have their way with them the mandalorians struggle to defeat the pirates who are um have air superiority but you know um the myth of the Mandalorians has, has been punctured, I think, in this season, which I don't think is the intent. <laughs> I don't think that that's what this show is trying to do. Um, we're, we're seeing, you know, they eventually defeat the pirates, but it doesn't really, um, it doesn't sell them as this, this, this superior fighting force of the Jedi. If, if essentially fell into stalemate with for most of galactic history. The Mandalorians are superior fighters. They wear Beskar armor, which is invulnerable to lightsabers. So they're basically a they're basically a a check against uh, the Jedi. Um, the the Jedi of the prequel era would have absolutely demolished these guys. And I get that there are things. You know, the, these are Mandalorians who are, um, who've seen better days. You know, the, the, their, their people are scattered, their, pe- their world is destroyed. But even so, they, they don't, they seem frustrated by very simple things. Den is, is routinely defeated or captured by uh by lesser foes it's part of the show it's part of the drama but i i think that's a problem i think in one sense of what the show is uh the other problem is is that six episodes in a lot of things that should have just happened immediately are happening the whole pirate sequence which is established in number one episode one i should say um really should have just been pancaked into one episode which is these pirates attack Navarro, which is seen this renaissance under Grief Karga. He calls Din for help. Instead, he calls Carson Teva, who's a, a New Republic pilot. He goes on a little side quest to Coruscant to request help. Very cool. We see um, Zeb um, from Rebels and a really cool cameo and very outstanding effects work, by the way, on the rendering on his 
on his face is very expressive and, and very extraordinarily well detailed. We go on a side quest where he does intersect with the the sort of the the Imperial Remnant slash First Order plot, which is um, represented by Kane, Kane, who in chapter or in episode three this season, um, is the one who, who sort of befriends um, the scientist and the cloning scientist and then ultimately betrays him we don't really know her deal although clearly she's still working for i think moth gideon who's yet to make an appearance this season another issue where is this plot going we're just getting hints like we're building to a big bad this big bad has has was established in season one and we don't know what he's doing or why other than we're, we're getting very, very small bits at the end of chapter five. It's we we only then discover two years later that he his, the shuttle that he was being transported on to a new Republic prison was intercepted, attacked. The crew was killed. He's missing. The implication is he was rescued by Mandos. That is an intriguing uh detail because it, it may suggest a couple things one is is that um there are mandalorians loyal to him it suggests possibly he's he's mandalorian that would explain a few things that would explain how he came by the dark saber to begin with uh we're going to talk about the dark saber uh relative to chapter six but it's parceled out. We don't have any real advancement. We don't get any advancement with Chapter 6. Um, it's clear that the show is going to wait until Episode 8 this season to really advance the Gideon story, which is not going to really advance it. It's going to just sort of set up what I think is the macro story going into other series. So Ahsoka, um, whatever else they've got on deck that's going to kind of continue to advance this this larger take back mandalore plot retake mandalore i don't know who we're retaking it from the planet is deserted it is been just devastated but i don't know why um, Bo needs a fleet as she is now again trying to reclaim after she lost it and after she walked away what does she need the fleet for who is she retaking it from is it these imperial aligned mandos shouldn't we have met them already should we introduce them shouldn't we establish that they're the threat that they're actually in control of the, the of the planet i don't understand um why we're not why we're not establishing that i guess we want to say we're going to save it for the episode eight i think um my god i lost my train of thought it was like you know why is why basically um so there the other big problem is is that this this season this series is no longer um din Djarin's story um and that is that is cemented in episode six but his arc he doesn't have an arc he and grogu uh um, resolved the cliffhanger from season two where Grogu goes off with Luke and then uh, Din removes his helmet and violates his creed. He needs redemption. That's resolved in the book of Boba Fett. He, Grogu comes back 
Um, Din realizes how he can uh, redeem himself in the eyes of his clan. He does that in, in uh, episode two this season. He goes to the mines of Mandalore, bathes in the water, redeems himself, and that's it. And then for the last several episodes, he's just been there. He has no arc. He has no direction. The only thing he does have is the Darksaber, which he won from Moff Gideon. And ostensibly makes him the ruler of Mandalore. He has no personal interest in it. But this is never really addressed between him and Bo, who has become his companion this season. It's never addressed by any other Mandalorians or by the show. Okay. So episode six sees Din and Bo go to this sort of... Um, it's called Plajura, something like that. It goes to this very opulent planet. Um, to recruit more Mandos because Bo is Bo does have an arc this season, but it it's a little bit strange at this point. Um, she starts out having lo she lost the dark saber, so her followers, their fleet, all the assets she had acquired to retake Mandalore again from who they've deserted her. She accompanies. She goes to uh, Mandalore to rescue Den after he's been captured. She then sees the Mythosaur within the waters. She has this sort of quasi-religious experience. The Mythosaur is um, a myth, um, but it's real. This throws her. She accompanies Den back to the covert. She is folded into the way. She's accepted by the armorer. She goes along with it. She's you know she's clearly wrestling with. What did I actually see? What does it mean? Um, you, you're anticipating conflict between her and the armor. You're anticipating some sort of maybe this is a gambit. Maybe maybe this is a you know some sort of uh, ploy on Bo's part and to to take control of this particular group of Mandos to fulfill her obligations. Maybe she's gonna try to get the dark saber back. None of that happens. She's accepted by the armor. The armor then, through a series after a series, a series of uh, episodes where Bo helps the helps the clan, she helps rescue a kid. She proves herself in battle, which of course, because she she's badass, she's amazing. And then the armor is like, no, you can take off your helmet. You you walk in both worlds. You need to go. Re you need to go unite all the all the disparate clans and you you're the one who's going to lead us and we're, now we're going to retake mandalore so bo's journey in the first few episodes of the season is just resolved there's no there's no tension there's no conflict there's no battle of wills there's no questioning there's no investigation between her and the armor, who were the two poles of influence in the series relative to the Mandalorian culture. There's no contest or question about the Darksaber. There's no, there's no anything. It's just she joins the way, she walks the way, and then she can take off her helmet. It's no sweat. No big deal. In the entire time, Den is just standing there. So now she's going to this planet to refine, to re, to gather everybody back up. 
she um, is in search of, we discover in episode six, the, the, the crew that she was running with in season two, which is Axe Wolves, and I forget her name, but played by Mercedes Vernado. Um, they're on this uh, Plagera planet. They're mercenaries. They're hired guns. They're a huge fighting force. They have ships. They have fighters. But there's a battle droid problem on this planet, but they can't intervene because of some very complicated, loopy laws about standing armies and things like that. But the but Din and Bo can because they're they're guests and they're all cultures are welcome, so they're weapons. Okay, very convoluted way just to get them to be the ones um, to to resolve this droid problem on the planet. Real quick, uh, some really fun cameos. Jack Black, Lizzo are the not king and queen, but they're kind of basically the royalty, elected royalty of this planet. It's a little goofy. It's a little silly. Uh, Christopher Lloyd it runs the droids um, in a fun, fun little bit. It's always great to see him. Um, that's kind of it. It's very well directed. Let me say again, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard has this great um, eye, and she brings every episode that she directs. She brings this great sense of um, scope. Uh, dimension uh, the world just feels bigger her shot her shot selection is always is very impressive the the show sometimes with some directors can feel a little bit claustrophobic it can feel a little bit like I, they're standing in front of the volume screen you don't ever get that you're actually in her episodes you're actually struggling to see how did she do that you know and that a big part of that is her using scale depth of field um, and she just has a great eye and she she is someone who um, she clearly has got, um, you know, she's got a, a grasp on Star Wars, and I, I would dearly love to see her direct a Star Wars movie, um, and just do more in general because she's she's a wonderful director. Her her episodes always have a, they always make good use of um, little moments, and we get one in the beginning of episode six today where. You find out that there's this this unique little love story between a a Quarren who's kind of a, for Kenner folks, Star Wars Kenner heads like me. That's Squidhead and Amon Calamari, who's Admiral Akbar species. These are historically within Star Wars lore. Um, uh, these two species are always at war. They share the same homeworld, Mon Calamari. Um, their two peoples are now somewhat at peace and that these two are are in this romance but they're on the run but the mandalorians have been sent to retrieve the mon calamari prince um it's a little little bit helen of troy but did not um it's very sweet it's very interesting um it's it's under in it, it a great another another thing that she does she always gets something um visually interesting and that is we see the the quarren princess uh, or captain is we when we initially see her she's in a tank of water they're underwater species but she's on the bridge of her ship as the as the ship encounters an imperial um, or what we think is an imperial vessel the the tank um, basically collapses into the floor and then she's left standing there it's very interesting 
um, very different. Um, one thing I'll say about this is that the 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 ma the creature work is always really strong on the show, but this year, with the pirates and with some of these guys, um, the masks are very rubbery. Um, they're very obviously masks. Um, they, they, they I feel like they've taken a step back, or maybe they're just using them too much. One thing the you know the Star Wars movies that you just kind of see these guys in the background, so they're not really they're not really doing too much. So you're, you're not, you know, the uncanny Valley isn't a, a big problem. It is when they're, when they're, they have, you know, several lines of dialogue and the rubber is scrunching. It's very power Rangers. And there's, unfortunately, there's a lot of power Rangers in book of Boba Fett. And this season with the masks, with uh, some of the pirate stuff in particular, the pirate captain slash King Gory and shard is this, mossy guy and he is very 1990s syndicated television uh power rangers sort of silly villain and i if that is the if that's the f intent okay if it's not, it, it doesn't really work. It doesn't really feel very good. It throws me out. This, you know, Star Wars has always been about the immersion and, you know, the, the top of the line. And in general, this is, again, this episode by Bryce Dallas Howard, episode six. Very well done. Very well made. But the, the creature work is, is lacking. That could be a function of the budget. Um, these are uh, this these are very expensive television shows still television it doesn't quite have the budget of a, of a movie um and they're making these masked characters do a lot and that includes the ugnats uh who appear in episode six and again it's it's the functionality in the masks is not great um so that 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 kind of throws me but they go through this little side quest of hunting down these rogue droids on this pleasure of planet um, and there's some things that just sort of, you know, I don't know. They just, the droids have always been mistreated in Star Wars. It's, it's sort of, this is a, a very anti-droid galaxy. Um, this, some of this is kind of like, you know, the, there are malfunctioning droids that are, you know, that are somewhat, you know, sort of silly, goofy stuff. They drop boxes. Some of it's not goofy. Some of it's sort of violent. But Din and Bo go down to these loading docks to sort of figure out where these droids are coming from to find the source of this malfunction. And Bo just starts attacking intimidating droids, which are just doing their job. And then he, he kicks one until it reacts and runs. And it feels like a cop provoking someone and then, and then arresting them, beating them. They then go to a bar which it, that it's a it's a droid bar um which is um populated entirely by droids and it has this very tropey and now it, what feels like now a very outdated thing where someone walks into a bar and the music literally stops and everybody stops and looks at you because it's as din says this is they don't get many of our kind here it it feels like it feels like things I've seen in Animal House and sort of you know movies from forty years ago plus where, you know that. 
I just I don't know if that you know those two things in concert the the you know the 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 provocation <laughs> towards the droids the the bar the bar scene it just you know the, there's the, the sort of racial um depiction or the the uh, the, the presenting the droids as as a species as a race and then this uncomfortable overlap with sort of sort of racial undertones societal undertones from our world i don't know i just i you know the droid thing is never the way the droids are treated is never sat well with me just because from the jump in star wars and the new hope you're like that the, the bartender was like their kind's not allowed here in the canteen and you're like well that guy's an asshole um so it's but it's it's absolutely a feature and not a bug of the star wars world and it's sort of it bears investigation um it there you know it's i star wars though is not necessarily about sort of you know deep sort of societal cultural investigations it's more about sort of big themes and and things like that and allegory. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, anyway, they go through. They figure out that the droids have been corrupted by Christopher Lloyd, who is a separatist from the Clone Wars era, and and he he he's all about democracy, and he gives a little bit of a speech about Count Dooku and the visionary that he was before Den, or I'm sorry, Bo, just electrocutes him. Um. And then at the the episode ends with Bo then finally getting uh, uh, the audience she wants with the Mandalorian mercenaries, Axe Wolves, and company. She challenges Axe for leadership of the for the leadership of this group for their fleet. They have a fight, which is which is good. It's decent. I I would I would like. These are top of the line Mandos. Um, I would like to kind of see. You know when they're when they're sort of launching at each other with their jetpacks and things like that. You, I would like to see a little bit more anticipation and a little bit more higher degree of difficulty in them fighting each other. These these are this is a chess match where each person knows the other person's moves. And when you're fighting, when you have the caliber of fighters that you do, I would imagine that this is a fight that's not actually going to go on very long. This is going to be a very brief fight because you're going to take your absolute best shot. Or you're going to maneuver them, hopefully, into taking their worst. It didn't feel like that. It felt like another fight. It was fine. It was entertaining. It has again. Bryce Dallas Howard had had a nice scope. It moved around. It used the environment. They got up under the wing of one of the fighters. It you know it was interesting. It then ends with the absolute thud. It just ends with dent. You know, Axwolves is like I I don't know. You know, you're not the rightful ruler, Bo Katan. Because you don't have the dark saber, you didn't even get it back from this guy, Din Djarin. And Din's like, "Well, I'll just give it to you." Or actually, now that I think about it, back in episode three or two, where you rescued me from the little crab monster, which was really cool, um, you then you then it, the crab monster had taken the dark saber. Bo got it back, and then she demolishes the crab monster with it. 
gives it back to Den, although we don't see that. We didn't actually see a scene where she hands it back to him and they have any kind of acknowledgement or, or conversation about the discomfort she might feel, the reluctance she might feel, the the questions that they that exist maybe between them. He's like the crab. So he tells Axe Wolves, he's like, "This crab monster took it from me. She took it from him. Therefore, it's actually she won it in combat. It's actually hers." And Axe Wolves like, "Yeah, I guess that makes sense." And then he just gives her the saber. She ignites it. Roll credits. Which completely diffuses the entire plot line, the tension, the drama, the conflict. So it's six episodes just for Den to do what he was going to do in the last episode of season two, which was just to give her the saber. And it felt it feels like something that should have just happened in episode two or three of the season, where she goes through the sequence I just uh, was talking about with the crab monster. She goes to give it back to him, and he's like, "No, you want it back." Is it, you know, isn't isn't that the way that it works? Is it, you you know, I they took it from me, you took it from them. It's yours. Well, that completely alters the dynamic going forward into the covert because then if she's brandishing the dark saber when she does, then she is in charge. Right? And then they're like, you know, it's not about taking her helmet on and then. She's like, you guys are coming with me. Now she has an army. She has the army that she's been looking for. She also has the experience with the mythosaur. And now Bo, Bo's arc is now, she's like, now I'm back on my horse. We're going to retake Mandalore. We're going to do some, But none of the tensions between her and Den manifest. He's just there. None of the tensions between Den and the armorer that stem from her telling him, you can never take off your helmet. You can't go back to Mandalore. It's cursed. There's only the way. All those things that he's that then he then realizes are not true. You can go back to Mandalore. It is inhabitable. I can't take my helmet off. I can put it back on. There are other ways. It's not just this myopic cultish thing. None of that comes to none of that is explored. None of that is activated. It's just, oh, here's the saber back. Oh, you don't have to wear your helmet. There's no tension. There's no drama. He doesn't have an arc. He's literally a bite. The Mandalorian really refers to, to Bo this year. And I just want to make clear, I love Bo-Katan. I think she's a fascinating character. I really enjoy what they're doing with her. But this show has become entirely about her this season. The Din Djarin and Grogu are not really, they're just sort of there. Grogu's arc also, you know, is he's learning to he's he's a foundling he's 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 on a journey to become a mandalorian but he's mostly just there that that's the show it's mostly just there it's even though episode six kind of goes back to some people i've some of the criticism i've seen of this season has been can't we just get back to sort of side quests or the kind of the you know the show sort of it feels like it's sort of becoming a soap opera even though nothing's happening well this show this episode gets back to a side quest and then i see this morning some of the instant reaction here is people are upset with that which is so it feels like sort of classic modern star wars reaction to me which is that we don't really know what we want and we're not happy with anything i I'm in, I've been enjoying the show. I've been enjoying, you know, I felt like early on here, the, the, the season was sort of going, going to go interesting places. I didn't expect the development with Bo. 
but then we just set that aside. I did, you know, um, I expected something to ha I expected there to be tension and conflict with Din with just about everybody. He's got the dark saber. He realized that everything Armor told him is junk. Not, there's no tension there. Moff Gideon has not appeared. We spent an entire episode on Coruscant with the Doctor and the in this the Reformation of of the Imperial folks. It's very interesting. I I enjoyed it. Um, it it sort of feels like a you know it took a page from Andor. So I enjoyed I enjoyed that, but then where are we going with it is there's sort of macro plot a lot of this feels like it's setting up things like the first order and the 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 cloning of the emperor which is the you know ultimately pays off in rise of skywalker and the sequel trilogy i personally don't care about that i don't need them to set that up i don't need to feel like this is all going this is all we need to serve a, a bigger thing i i care about these characters and their journey but their journey is ended for Din Djarin and Grogu anyway. They're just they're just tagging along. And I think that is very dissatisfying. Um it's mystifying. Um, you know, this is a show that um has enormous things, very cool things and themes that John Favreau, Dave Floney, the other writers, they're exploring with the Mandalorian culture. What is it, you know, identity, um you know, where did, where does Mandalorian culture place within the Star Wars galaxy? What is it? What does it mean to be Mandalorian? They're all very interesting things. I, I feel like we're speeding through them. Then I feel like we're deliberately hitting the brakes as to not go through things. I feel like we're just realizing things in the moment. Like there's a lot of first draft. Is it's what it feels like to me, and I I could be wrong. Um, but to me, it, these sort of things, it feels when you encounter something that should have happened earlier, you're, you're, it's either one of two things. It's either you're padding and you're delaying and you're stalling. And they don't need to stall with the show with this huge canvas and this huge scope and all these wonderful characters. Or it, you, it's, it's first draftism, which is that you, 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 you get to the thing you need to get to, the, the, the point in the story which... Um, is the essential, but you get to it late because you're writing and you're drafting. And then you find it. Well, then you revise, and then that, and then you get that into the play, into it, into its proper place within the narrative structure. This show feels like it is going somewhere. It's going towards the retaking of Mandalore again. From whom? Um, it feels like it's going to go to a conflict, which is not going to be between Bo and the armorer, with Din torn between them the way legacy mandalore but it's going to be between mandalorians sort of collectively here and then the imperial aligned mandalorians perhaps with moff gideon which feels like a carryover from clone wars and rebels so that's interesting but it's not what we were thinking and what it feels like is instead of developing the ideas and possibilities in this show were simply continuing or reconnecting to ones that were done in other shows. For there's a lot of I love the big connective tissue in Star Wars. I love the links. I love the Easter eggs. I love all of that. I love seeing Zeb um, from Rebels. The you know in Chapter Five. I I love all of that. I also love that these shows have their own identity. 
I feel like this show is losing its identity a bit, which is very frustrating because this is a show about identity. Um, yeah. So let, what do you guys think? Are, are you enjoying the show? Are you happy with where it's going? Are you dissatisfied? Let us know. Um, we'll do a deep dive on the season once it's over. So we've got two episodes left. So um, I'll continue to drop these bonus episodes and hopefully you guys enjoy them. Um, and hopefully we're gonna, we're, we're gonna get, uh, we're gonna get some interesting developments in the next episode. So, um, I'll leave it there. We'll wrap up there and then we'll pick this back up next week, uh, for episode seven. And then after the season, like I said, we'll do a, we'll do a, a big, uh, deep dive on the whole thing. So we'll leave it there, folks. Guys, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, if you haven't, uh, do all the things, you know, uh, follow, um, like, rate, review, do all those things. We really appreciate your guys' support and uh, listening to us every week. So take care. See you next week.